Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Marriage. So um, we want to get real about marriage, and, and there are probably thousands of books out there on, on Christian marriages, um, and we on... Uh, at least a couple times a month meet in our uh, Households of Faith classroom and we hash out things about marriage. But let me talk with you about marriage as, uh, as it exists, as an apostolic Christian marriage. What does that look like? The institution of marriage is under attack. And if you don't know, you, you just haven't been keeping up with current events to see that marriage in our society and even within the church is under attack. Marriage of, as marriage between one man and one woman is losing its meaning in our society. There is an attack on our God-given genders. There's a lack of distinction of the sexes. We can blame society, the education system, government, politicians. We can blame all of that. But let me tell you in back of that, there is Satan who is working actively to destroy our marriages because if he can destroy the marriage, he can destroy the fabric of the church. And so there, Satan is set against it. Now let me make it even more personal. Satan is not just out to destroy the institution of marriage. He is out to destroy your marriage sitting here in this church. He set out and determined that he would love to see your family broken apart, marriages broken apart, and we are under attack. Let's get real about marriage. Let's look at some statistics, okay? The average marriage is about 19 years. That I kind of was encouraged about because I thought it would be a lot less than that. The divorce rate Good news and bad news. Here it is. Good news, the divorce rate is on the decline in our society. But the reason why it's on the decline is because the marriage rate is dropping. Younger people, particularly younger generation, is being, they're being disillusioned by marriage, and they're not getting married as much as they used to. They don't see positive examples. They don't get why marriage is necessary anymore, and they don't see the, ne the need for commitment. Here's one that I found interesting. During COVID, the divorce rate fell by 12%. So I don't know what takeaway message that is. Maybe if we spent more time with each other and was forced to, we might actually find out we like each other, you know? So uh, then the big statistic, 40 to 50% of marriages in America end in divorce. So we're not quite 50%. I was under the, the impression that it might actually be more than 50%, but actually the majority of marriages actually stay together, even if by just a hair. 40 to 50% of marriages end, end in divorce. I wish I could tell you that that 40 to 50% was all people in the world and non-Christians and non-apostolics. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. I wish I could tell you that everyone in that 50 to 60% of successful marriages, it was simple enough that it was all godly people and we could attribute it to that. It's not that simple. And, and we don't always understand 
um, why good, godly marriages sometimes are attacked and fall apart. But unfortunately, they do. So that means that if, if 50 to 60% of marriages are successful, that means there's a lot of them out there that are good people, that have great families, that have kids that act well and behaved. They seem like they've got it together and they've got good homes. They seem like great neighbors. You know them in your neighborhood. You've got decent families. But what's the difference between them and a Christian apostolic marriage? What is the difference between an apostolic marriage? Why is that even necessary to distinguish that? Do, are we better because of it? Is that even necessary to have something we label as a, as a Christian marriage? I want to kind of discuss this a little bit by looking at what I've, I've come up with as the three things that I think distinct, there's distinctives of the apostolic Christian home and marriage. First of all, the Word of God and prayer have a prominent place. So in your marriage, the Word of God and prayer have preeminence in the things that you do and what you have in your home. And phrased another way, I want to challenge you with this. Is your home adorned with the Word of God? Now, I'm not just talking about the nice little plaques and things that we put up. That's great, and we do that too. But I want to know, in your home, is the Word read, discussed, prayed, and is the Word of God referred to practically? We're talking about real marriage. What happens in the home where the Word of God is engaged? When questions arise within your family, do we seek the answers out in the Word of God? Now, we don't use the Bible. We often will have, I guarantee you, walk in your home, I'll see a Bible laying out somewhere. But uh, the Word of God is not a good luck charm. It's not just something to sit there and say, okay, we've got it, we're okay. It needs to be engaged and practiced. And an apostolic home should have the Word of God actively engaged on a daily basis. Now, we're not a perfect family. I don't set myself up as this, we've got this ideal home, but there are some things that we do as a family. And if you have the, the pictures, I want to I introduce you to the doorway going into my home. That's how we enter the door. And now I'm going to zero in on that little area just to the right of the door. If you can bring the next one up. That's a little closer, and now I'm going to zero in on that thing on right by my door a little closer, if you can bring up that third picture. That's what you call mezuzah. Now, this is blatant cultural appropriation. We were in the Holy Land, and I noticed when we were in, in the Jerusalem area, every doorway had one of these things like this by the doorway, and some of them were tilted, and they explained to us that they would always tilt them where it would be towards Jerusalem, okay? So whatever direction that was. This is used by the Jews where they will take uh, a piece of paper with uh, some Hebrew words on it, uh, things that are important to them in the, in the uh, Jewish faith, and they will put those inside these little cylinder things and affix them besides the doorpost. Well, I decided I like that idea. 
So I borrowed it. And so what I did is I customized it, and I said, what are the foundational things that I want my family to be? What part of the Word of God do I want to put in my mezuzah? And so I did a bunch of things, and I, I uh, printed it out on a little tiny font so it could fit it all on one page, and then I folded it up and put it in there. But let me tell you some of the things that are in there. I put Deuteronomy 6.4, Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." Psalm 91.9, because of you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Joshua 24.15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now as a spiritual leader in my family, I, de- I determined those were the foundational things of the word of God that I wanted to declare. Now this is not a superstition. This was an act of faith and symbolism that I did to declare. These are the things that I want my home to stand for. And so we actively engage the Word of God. I'm reminded every time anyone comes in from the outside to visit my home, and I'm reminded when I go out through that door what we stand for, and it reminds me of that. In your house is prayer practiced, not just thought about not just done, but done every now and then, but is it practiced? Is it engaged? When something comes up within your home where there's a big event or a big decision or a big problem we face, do we stop and pray about it then together as a family, as a couple? If someone is sick, do we get the anointing oil out and pray over them as a family in your home? You're allowed to do that, okay? We're following scripture there. Does each member of your family, does each of you as a married couple, husband and wife, do you spend time on your own individually in prayer? So prayer and the word of God are preeminent in the apostolic home. Second point, what else makes an apostolic home? And that is purpose. Your family has a purpose. We don't think of that because we think often that marriage is for companionship and having children. And those are wonderful things. But if you're part of the body of Christ, your marriage has a greater purpose than just that. Let's look at it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The King James says, help meet, and we often use that like a compound noun, but the word meet actually means appropriate or comparable. So God created Eve for Adam for a helper that was appropriate to him. Well, you can't be a helper if you're not doing something. So in order to help someone, you have to have a job or a purpose. In Genesis, Adam was given a purpose or a job. He was given dominion over the creation. He was to tend the garden and to name the animals, and he was given that job. But God recognized that that task was greater than what one person could handle. And so the first marriage began because there was a job to do, and it required two people to do it. 
your marriage exist, if you are part of the body of Christ, to do the job or ministry God has given you to, to do. Maybe that's a full-time or part-time ministry position. Maybe it's a ministry you're a part of or help give leadership to. Maybe it's a ministry that you just help serve in. Maybe it's just raising your children to be good saints of God. Whatever that is, there is a purpose to it, and that is your job together, a ministry for the body of Christ together as a couple. That is your purpose for being together. And yes, children have a purpose. As a marriage, when you have children, they have a purpose according to Scripture. Psalms 127.4. The Bible says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are compared to a weapon in the Bible. And when you have children, they are not just there to keep you company and to enjoy life with. They are for that. But they are an arrow in the side of Satan when you can raise a child to be godly and to be a part of the body of Christ. You are, show, uh, you are throwing arrows at Satan and the kingdom of God is being expanded. It's often said jokingly, there's more than one way to grow, grow the church, and, and the, the joke is that you have children. That is exactly true, though. That's not a joke. We expand the body of Christ, and we expand the kingdom when we have children. Not everyone has that. We get it, but when it is, that is a, a stated purpose. The third thing we'll see in a Christian or apostolic home is that there is consistency or continuity with the church. Let me compare it with this. The church is like a bolt of cloth, okay? And it is seamless. It is a seamless bolt of cloth. And that bolt of cloth extends into the homes of the body of Christ seamlessly. So it is all one piece. There is no tacking of a different type of fabric onto the fabric of the church, we don't do something different and tack it on. In other words, we don't just say, well, we have our life as a family, but then on Sundays we go to church. No, it's continuous with the church. What you see and feel here, you should see and feel in your homes as well and in your marriages. In decades past, they used to talk about spheres of influence. And there was a feminine sphere and a masculine sphere. There was a work sphere and there was a home sphere. Well, let me tell you, in the kingdom of God, in the church, there are no spheres. There are no separations. Your home is a continuous fabric with the church. Your home should be a little church. Let's look at a, a familiar passage, Ephesians 5.22. Beginning uh, verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, and also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as what? Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy 
and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And now I want you to pay attention to verse 32. He has just explained the relationship of a husband and wife, and he says, Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak what? Concerning Christ and the church. When Paul is discussing this, he talks about the relationship of a husband and wife. But what is he really talking about? He's talking about Christ and the church. Your home, your marriage is the church. What's the difference between your home and the nice neighbors down the street? They're not the church. You're the church. In your home, it's an extension of this body. And so you are continuous, and that is one of the greatest distinctions we can understand. Home is just not another place. It is an extension of the church. Is there consistency and continuity between the church and your marriage or home? Do you come to church and you're something here, but then you're something different when you go home? Do you give lip service to the convictions of our church and our local body when you're here, but when you go home, you practice something different? If you want, let me just mention this and, and throw this in here. If you want to lose your children to the world, one of the surest ways to do it is to be consistent with what you are at church as what you are at home. It's to be inconsistent with those things. Your children will see you and your faith as fake and phony and unimportant, and the church has no value because they see you that you're not the same here as what you are at home. So our homes, if we are to be apostolic homes, word of God and prayer is preeminent. There is a purpose to our marriages and our homes And lastly, we are consistent and continuous with the church. Let me give a plug, as as Sister Andrea did, for our ministry we have here, Households of Faith. We We are primarily aiming for the younger couples who are married less than 10 years, and we have a lot of them in this church. We were amazed how many we have who have been married less than 10 years and many less than five. So we, have, we are investing into those lives because we want to build up and edify and strengthen those marriages because if we can keep them strong, we'll have a strong church and we can build on that. So pray for our marriages, pray for our families. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.